My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Liz Wiseman is a leadership expert. As an executive at Oracle Corporation, she worked for 17 years as vice president for Oracle University and as the global leader for human resource development. She then started writing about leadership and is the author of several best-selling management books, including Multipliers, The Multiplier Effect, Rookie Smarts, and Impact Players. She is a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review and Fortune and a frequent guest lecturer at Stanford University. She has worked and traveled in more than 50 countries and consults with the biggest and best companies. And in 2019, Liz was recognized as a top leadership thinker in the world by the National Center for Leadership and Management. Given that the best companies in the world seek out Liz for advice, I wanted to do the same. I hope you enjoy learning from Liz Wiseman, because I certainly did. Liz, I'm so excited to talk with you today. The first time I heard your name was fall of 2010, and I was attending law school, and I heard that uh, this great new author had released this book called Multipliers, and, and she'd come to the law school to present. And I know you've spoken at Stanford so many times and you've given so many speeches. I don't know if you remember that one specifically in the fall of 2010. Um, So it's cool for me because uh, that book goes on to become a New York Times bestseller. You then have two more books that become Wall Street Journal bestsellers, Rookie Smarts and Impact Players. So it's just been so fun for me to watch your kind of career progression and, and just see you keep kind of blowing up over and over again. Uh, both as uh, an author and then as a speaker. Just uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were at Stanford for a conference and and you were one of the keynote speakers there at that conference and did such a great job. Uh, But it's not just your success as an author and a speaker that's impressive. Uh, You've also consulted with the who's who of successful companies today, Apple, AT&T, Disney, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Nike, Tesla, Salesforce, Twitter, on and on. Uh, And in 2019, you were named a top leadership thinker in the world by the National Center for Leadership and Management. Uh, You're a genuinely kind person. So this intro could go on and on. My wife and I still fondly remember you from the time you took us to the ballet, uh, almost well over a decade ago. You've always been so quick to help me in the projects I've been working on. Uh, You're incredibly witty, insightful, and funny. And uh, again, I could go on and on, but I just want to say thank you for coming on. And I'm excited to hear from you today. Oh, well, thank you. Um, it's all downhill from here, I imagine. <laughs> well, uh, you've, like I said, you've had an incredible career. Uh, you, you were an executive at Oracle and you have this new career as an author and speaker and consultant. And as you think back to, uh, as you think back on your career, as you're, when you were working at Oracle, and then as you became an author and speaker and consultant, uh, I was wondering if there are two or three simple, practical, underappreciated lessons that you've learned from your career that you most want to pass along to your kids or future generations. Mm. Well, I think the first thing, and, and thank you for, for, for this opportunity to, to share some of the things I've learned the hard way. And I think the first lesson I learned at Oracle Fortunately, was early in my career. I came into my career sort of turned upside down about 
understanding how to make a valuable contribution. And I think what I learned is like, you know what, get over yourself and make yourself useful. And here's how it happened is I had come into Oracle and I wanted to teach leadership. So this is what you do today. It's what I do today. I came in gunning to do it. I was passionate about it. And I'm like looking for an opportunity to do this. I take this job at this young, rapidly growing software company. After a year into my um, work experience there, I have an opportunity to transfer to a new group. And it's like this emerging training group. At the time, they just run these technical boot camps. So Oracle's hiring people by the thousands but they're hiring all these top programmers from top programming, you know, um, schools, you know, in the nation's top schools. So these are all like hot shop technologists we're hiring. And I'm interviewing with this group and I interview with the manager and the director and I'm interviewing with the vice president. And he asked me a bunch of questions and apparently I passed this interview and it's in my chance to maybe ask him a question. So I kind of share this observation about how Oracle's growing really rapidly. And we've got a lot of young technologists who are now being thrown into management and they haven't had a lot of any management training. They don't have any management experience. They're wreaking havoc on the company. Everyone can see it. Everyone knows that this is a problem. And he agrees, it's a problem. It was a legit problem in the company. And then I say, you know, Oracle needs a management boot camp, and I would love to help build this. And I will never ever forget his response because he said, Liz, we think you're great. We're super excited to have you join this team, but your boss has a different problem. See, she's gonna figure out how to get 2000 new college graduates up to speed in Oracle technology over the next year. And what would be great is if you could help her solve that problem. What he was saying is make yourself useful, like look around and see what's going on. And, you know, I knew they needed technical instructors, but, and I loved, I wanted to teach, but I had absolutely zero passion for like the nuances of correlated subqueries and like the virtues of database indexing techniques. And I'm woefully underqualified coming out of business school to be teaching programming to a bunch of hotshot programmers from MIT and Caltech. And like, I want to teach leadership. And you were an organizational behavior major, right? I mean, this is yeah, my jam. This background. is my jam. And, and like, I want to teach leadership. And he wants to, me to teach programming to a bunch of nerds. And it's not the job I want at all. But it, I could tell it was the job that was needed. And I took his advice and I said, okay, you know what? If you need technology instructors, I'll do that. And so I had to like learn to think think me like a programmer. And I remember, you know, partnering up with this uh, work colleague, you know, she had had a CS degree from Berkeley and she's like, Liz, we got to teach you to think like a programmer, which actually is the foundation of the research I do today is like learning how to isolate variables and change and test and gather data. And, you know, it was a lot of late nights, but I became this programming instructor and a technical trainer and surprisingly a pretty good one. And what happened after that was I didn't get pigeonholed and stuck doing that. It was like, okay, we got a bigger job for you. And now we want you to do this. And how about this? And it wasn't long before I'm now not just figuring out the agenda and then trying to get myself on it. I'm, I'm getting to help set the agenda. And it wasn't long before 
I got to say, you know what, we really need a management program. And I got to build that and build a team to do it. And I was able to do it with so much more efficacy and power because I had a reputation as someone who worked on what was important rather than my own pet passion. Yeah. And I think this is a lesson, fortunately, like I learned from Bob, this VP early on, which is figure out what's important to the organization, to your client, and then make that important to you. That's so interesting because in my leadership class, I have told the students now that this is my second year teaching leadership and I've taught the class multiple times. And what one of the key pieces of advice I tell them is organizations need people who are just going to get work done and you've just got to show up and get work done. But what I haven't added to that, that I'm going to moving forward is you need to get work done that the company wants to get done or that the company needs to get done. It's not just enough for you to get the work done that you want to get done. And and so I'm, I'm excited to add that uh, extra caveat is, yes, you've got to get work done, but you need to be useful to the organization and get the work done that the organization needs. That was implied, of course, but just your framing, I think, is, is really helpful to make sure people make that connection. We've got to get the work done that needs to get done. Right. And it's about understanding what people around you are trying to get done and what's important. And it's, it's operating with the sense of, empathy for those that you serve and for the higher ups in the organization. Like what are, what are we trying to get done collectively and how can I be of service to that? And, you know, it's not about, Hey, just be subordinate and subservient and do whatever people want done. It's that you build influence and power because you're creating real value inside of the organization. And you know, that kind of takes me to, I think one of the second big lessons I learned is, you know, sometimes you have to invite yourself into places where you're not invited. And, you know, probably the most important piece of work I ever did for Oracle was not work that was given to me. It was work, not only that I volunteered to do, it was work I kind of wedged myself into do. We were, I was now running Oracle University and running all the training for the company and our big flagship leadership development program involved bringing our leaders together, teaching them the Oracle strategy, you know, and the, some, teaching them some leadership skills and sending them out to, to implement that. And we kept getting feedback that the strategy was unclear. Well, the people who were presenting the strategy were the president of the company, the chief technology officer, but it's like the way they were presenting it was creating confusion rather than clarity. You know, so we one run program, we get that feedback we kind of rearrange the slides in the PowerPoint deck. We run another program. We get very similar feedback. I'm now haranguing these executives. Like, guys, we've got to get this strategy much more clear, much more compelling. Like, we've got to take all of this, like, disparate thinking and boil it down to something really simple. And finally, they get the message and they agree to meet. They're going to get all of the heads of the product division. Now, Oracle's about a $25 billion company at this point. They're going to get them together in a room and, and iron this out. And I'm the one who kind of harangued them and caused this to happen. I'm feeling very successful that they've heard the feedback. They're doing something about it. I'm kind of like checking it off my to-do list. Like, okay, meeting happened. Let's get that clear. We'll be able to resume our program. And it was happening like the next week, let's say on Tuesday. I'm like, hmm, I should go to that meeting. Well, I'm not one of the product leaders for the company. I'm like, 
it's a product strategy. I, mean, I should go. Well, first of all, I know something about the technology because I had spent time really learning it, learning how to teach it and simplify it. But, you know, these are all executives that are older than me. They're much higher in the organization than me. They're all male. I'm like, would be, I'm like, I'm going to show up at that meeting. And so I just go uninvited and I sit down, I get early, I, I get early, I sit down, it's a port meeting and it's going to be full of conflict and tension. They might not want an audience for that, but I go to the meeting and I take a seat and as they all come in one by one, they're a little surprised that I'm there, but you know, I know all these guys, they, they kind of greet me. The president arrives, um, he looks kind of happy to see me there. And then this one executive, the head of the database division, he arrives and he's not, he's surprised and not pleasantly surprised that I'm there. And he, he was just like, and he was the most powerful product exec in the company. And um, he looked at me, he's like, Liz, what are you doing here? Like you run training for this company. This is about product strategy. And he kind of just like, everyone else is now assembled. The meeting's about to start. And he's like looking at me. So all eyes are on me. And I remember just like, kind of squaring my shoulders and just like looking at him and saying, Jay, like what we need to do right now is take a lot of complex information about our technology and the market and boil it down to something simple. And it's, it's something that I'm pretty good at. And I thought I could be of help. I'm not sure he was entirely convinced, but the president was convinced and president, I think he said something like, shut up, Jerry, like Liz is good at this. Like, trust me, we can use our help. But like, this isn't my place. Like, this isn't my space, but I just show up. And then I start listening and taking notes, like not minutes, but just observations. And then I start playing some of those back. Like, well, I'm hearing that this is kind of a trend in the market. And I'm seeing that this is like, and people are like, oh, that's interesting. And then people are starting to ask for my observations. And then, you know, of course, it's a complex piece of work that needs to happen over several meetings. And then they asked me if I would facilitate the next meeting. I'm like, yeah, sure. And then they came to this conclusion that like a good strategy, you know, and we're a complex, you know, $25 billion global company at the time. They're like a good strategy has many thinkers, but one author. And they're like, we need someone to author this strategy. Liz, will you do that? I'm like, ah. I don't know. I don't have to author a strategy. I mean, I've never authored anything other than an email note. And, but they like, they asked me to do this. And so I'm like, okay, I can, I, I'll do that. And, you know, I took all that thinking, pulled it together, boiled it down, like simplified it. And we ended up then presenting that back. The executives presented that like reframed strategy back the next time. And it was this huge hit. And, and then we built on that and they built on it. And it was this amazing win. And it wasn't just, it didn't just allow us to resume an important training program. It really affected the course of the organization. And, you know, it was probably the most important contribution I made to the company. And it wasn't my job. And it wasn't my place. And nobody really asked me to do it. I kind of inserted myself. And I think one of the things I've learned is that sometimes you have to invite yourself to parties that you're not invited to. And it's not like, oh, gee, go like storm the board meeting. But you might need to suggest, hey, I can do this thing for you. I I could help here. Like I could be of value 
in this place and maybe even hold your own a little bit as you do that. Um, and I think I learned just because, you know, your presence wasn't planned doesn't mean it's not going to be welcomed. Like that might be where we do our most valuable work, but we have to be willing to invite ourselves into yes. some such a great lesson. So in, in my leadership class, I talk about the proactive personality and the importance of being assertive. And, you know, it, there, there's a measurement tool that you know you can take and tell you how proactive you are. And I encourage the students, look, if you want to be a good employee and a good leader, sometimes you just have to be proactive and assertive. Uh, but this example now is one that I will tell my students, like, Here's an example of how to be assertive and how to be proactive and such a great lesson for my kids as well. Uh, hopefully your parents believe in you. Uh, but beyond that, uh, you got to believe in yourself. You know, if if you don't believe in yourself, it, it, it might be difficult to uh, have other people believe in you. Kind of like nobody else is going to sell your product. You got to sell your product. You've got to be the one assertive. So uh, such a, a cool lesson, Liz. And, and that experience at Oracle then leads you into uh, transitioning to kind of this second career. And, and I would love to hear what you've learned from uh, your next career as an author and speaker that you most want to pass along. Uh, well, you know, my, my work at Oracle was I, I held a position and in an organization, but now I'm out as a researcher and then I write stuff. And then when you write stuff, they put your name on it and then it goes out into the world. And one of the, the, the hard parts of that is learning to separate yourself from your work because I, I didn't realize this when I wrote my first book and it was multipliers it went on to become this like New York Times bestseller it didn't occur to me that someone might criticize it and, and you know I just like wanted to put it out there and I wanted to do a good job but you know I hadn't really thought through like people are going to write reviews and they're not going to be your best friends you know like initially maybe your best friends go out there and say what a great book you should read it and it can be very easy to take that feedback harshly because like they're your thoughts, your words on a page. It's so personal. And one of the things I've learned to do is just separate myself from my work. Like this is me and this is my work. And if you like my work, it doesn't mean that you like me. It means you like my work and you can dislike my work, but that doesn't mean you dislike me and and you know that was that was a hard lesson to learn and I remember like the moment where that first came into clarity with me was I'm writing this book multipliers I reach out to a former boss of mine Carrie Patterson who um, is an amazing thinker he's the lead author in the crucial conversations okay. crucial confrontations okay. influencer and change anything I worked for him as a summer intern and learned some incredible things working for him. Um, and so I reach out to him. I'm like, Carrie, I've done this research. I have this eye for this book, but I've got to put like a book proposal together. Can you help me think about this? He's like, Liz, this is such a great idea. I'm so mad that it wasn't my idea. And so he's like wanting to help me. And, and um, he's kind of helping me think through that. And then I said, well, you know, I, I'm starting the writing process. I'd love to have you take a look at it. He's like, I'd love to do that. So I send him off like a, a, our first couple chapters and he instantly like 45 minutes later he responds and I remember very much what the email said he's like Liz like and, and he 
Carrie was a very is a very dear mentor to me. We have a close relationship. And 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 I remember what he said. He's like, girl, have you done your homework? Like he's like, this is well researched. He's like, most people like write books about thoughts they had in the bathroom about this topic. Girl, have you done your homework? And girl, can you write? And I'm like, oh my gosh, one of my heroes just said that to me. And I feel so good. And he tells me all the things that's, you know, great about it. And he's like, okay, I don't have time for more detailed feedback, but hey, come out and see me. And like, let's block some time. And like, let's go through this. He's two states away. I make an appointment with him. I fly out and I'm going out there honestly, because I want more details about like all the good stuff. And, and he said, you know, send me a, a new chapter. I'll read it and I'll give you some feedback. I get there. He hasn't had time to read it. So he's like, I'll just read it out loud. So he's reading what I have written out loud, which I'm already squirming with how uncomfortable this is. And he's like reading stuff and going, oh, that's terrible. And then he's like, Ugh. and then he's like reading something else. I'm not even sure I agree with that. Like, I'm like, that's not necessarily thought through. And he's picking it apart. And this goes on for two hours as he's reading through this and and like ripping it to shreds. And we get to the end of it. And he's kind of like very into this. And I think he pulls up and he looks at me like wanting to know, like, has his feedback been helpful? I was like, Carrie, I'm like, that was the most painful two hours, I think, of my professional life. I'm like, that was absolutely miserable. And I think I might have said, and I'm sure I did say, I'm like, Carrie, the only thing that would have made that less painful is if I had been standing on the table naked while you were doing that. I'm like, I felt so like exposed and ripped apart. And he just said, Liz, I'm giving you my harshest feedback because I think your work deserves it. It's good and it deserves it. And he says, and I think you can handle this. You know, and I realized I had gone there like looking for an extra helping of praise. And what he gave me was something very different. He was giving me information to help me improve my work. This had nothing to do with me. And whether he thought I was a good writer or had something to say, he was he was acting in service to me. And it just made, it brought this into clarity, which is like, we can never make our work better if we cannot separate our work, which for me is like words on a page often hmm. from our own like identity and sense of like worth and worthiness. Um, like you can be worthy and you can do bad work. And you can have people help you turn bad work into good work. Yeah, I love that framing because one of the lessons that Keisha and I try to teach our kids is it was this book called The Courage to Be Disliked that we read and really like. And so we teach the kids, you know, you need to have the courage to be disliked by some people and that's okay. And related to that is this idea of like, you know, don't take your work or don't take feedback too personal. But what I really like about this framing is it, it helps kind of crystallize this idea for me. And yeah, you should have the courage to not, you should have the courage to be disliked. That's important. Um, but also, uh, Carrie doesn't dislike you. You need to have the ability to separate yourself from your work. And I think that's a better way to think of it. You know, you get, you hear the advice, don't take it personal. Like, okay, well, yeah, that's kind of, uh, you know, it's much easier said than done. But by really trying to focus on, I can separate these two. I can separate myself from my work 
And that will allow me to take the feedback that really allows me uh, to improve. And, uh, you know, we don't have the counterfactual list to see what would have happened had you not taken Carrie's feedback or gotten that. But, you know, there's a pretty good indication that whatever you're doing is working. You've got some incredibly successful books. You are requested to speak nonstop. Uh, you have way more opportunities to speak than you could possibly fulfill. Uh, I'm just so grateful that I could learn from you today. I don't know if you have any other kind of concluding thoughts or anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up. Well, there's kind of an additional piece on top of the separate yourself from the work is I've had to learn to like, don't give too much space in your head for outlier feedback. And, you know, it's easy to take these like extremely negative or extremely positive feedback and obsess over them. And I have to remember like there's, there's a bell curve and like the outliers get just a little tiny bit of space in that bell curve and, and to, to focus on where there is a lot of space. I actually learned this one when I was um, a TA in, in, in business schools an OB class and organizational behavior class. And the end of the semester, I got these evals and there was like this one eval that said like Liz brings her personal I might have said stories. I probably heard issues into class and it's distracting. And I'm like, I was horrified by this. And when I sat outside of my professor's office to like go back in, I'm like, Lee, did you see this? It's like, I saw this feedback. And, and he draws this bell curve on his whiteboard. And he says, see this feedback about that and that other comment? He's like, this is right at the outer end of the bell curve. And then he takes this, like, this whiteboard marker on the ground one. He just like crosses it out. He says, I want you to ignore all that. I'm like, I love Lee Perry. He's the best professor, best boss. And then he's like, oh, and this other stuff on the other side of the right, which is like, Liz is the best teacher. We love this class. We love Liz. Da, da. He goes, that's that's at the other end. And you should ignore that too. I'm like, oh, that's less exciting. But, <laughs> but I've had to really learn that lesson, which is do not give space in your head for outliers. Now look at it and give it space, but do not give it bigger space than it is. That's so interesting, too, because I had an experience with a manager once and he was very difficult. And I was just for the most part, I get along with people and I've had great experiences in, in the workplace. And then I have this manager and all of a sudden I just feel like I just can't do anything right. And uh, it took me about five months and then I start talking to other people and I realize, oh, everybody has a really hard time with this manager. And so I came to the conclusion, like sometimes it's not me, sometimes it's them. Um, but I like this framework of what that was, is it was the outlier. It was, this manager was the outlier and I, and I needed to not give too much attention to that person. Really, it was kind of their problem, uh, not mine, because everybody in the, in the company had a hard time with this manager. So I love that feedback of, yeah, don't pay too much attention to the outliers. Well, Liz, we could go on forever. Uh, one thing I love about you is is you are able to uh, distill information and pull out interesting, insightful lessons. So thank you so much for coming on today. And I can't wait to see what you do next. I know uh, I'll just keep seeing you writing books, uh, speaking, consulting, and then whatever else uh, you decide to do next. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And I'm excited to see what you're doing. You know, I'm a fan of yours and I've been following you and your work and your family. Um, and love you all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. Liz Wiseman is an endless fountain of interesting ideas and insights, and I look forward to trying to apply the lesson she taught today. 
First, to make valuable contributions, we need to get over ourselves and make ourselves useful. Liz wanted to solve one problem at Oracle, but her boss needed her to solve a different problem. Liz figured out what was important to the company and then made that important to herself. Later, because she had gained so much trust in the organization, she was able to work on the original problem she had identified. Second, sometimes you have to invite yourself into places where you're not invited. The most important work Liz did at Oracle was work that she wedged herself into. Just because your presence isn't planned doesn't mean it's not going to be welcome, as Liz succinctly described. Third, people can like our work and dislike us, or dislike our work and still like us. By learning to separate ourselves from our work, we can more easily take feedback from others. And finally, when receiving feedback, it's important to be aware of the outliers and not give them more attention than they deserve. In summary, Liz Wiseman embodies her advice to make ourselves useful to others. It's a simple idea. Please take it seriously. 